0: This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 11, Episode 9, No Time to Die, the 25th James Bond film, in conversation with Sean Chang of the movie and TV blog, Hill Place, the famous Bond franchise, has been producing the British secret agent films since 1962, beginning with Sean Connery. That has continued up to today, 2021, with Daniel Craig playing the starring role of 007. Sean Chang joins us today to discuss No Time to Die. Sean, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me back, Jim. It's always a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Sean, let's dive right into the film. Let's start off by me asking you, how many James Bond films have you seen?
1: All of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> and last time I was here, I told you that I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 51 times. So you can imagine how, how many times I've seen each of the James Bond films. But I will acknowledge I like some films better than most, because I've seen some films more than most i grew up on that series jim but my father was as i mentioned on the podcast before a chinese author musician who grew up loving cinema when i was born and we were growing up in los angeles i mean he introduced me to many many great and classic films but he also introduced me to the james bond series at a very young age and it's one of those things that you remember from your childhood the movies that you grow up watching with your parents particularly you know the james bond films with my father And I guess with my mother growing up watching uh, films like starring Doris Day with my mother, for example, and having that shared experience with each of your parents, um, each of my parents, excuse me.
0: And And of course, your parents named you Sean, as in Sean Connery.
1: Oh no! That, that if, you, if you'll see on, on, you know, the the listing for this podcast, my Sean is spelled completely differently than Sean Connery, and you know that's just a long story to explain how I ended up with such a English-sounding or Irish-sounding name. But I will say this: that that the name, you know, Sean Chang, because it's basically two syllables, um, I think a, a strong impact, you know, orally and visually, and bring it back to the James Bond series because the character is, is a name with two syllables james bond see how you know having a name with just two syllables you know can be the effective pack the punch i think with certain people when they hear certain names like that and tying it back to the bond series when there's a, there's this expression that people find politically incorrect these days bond girl people like to refer to the actresses in bond movies now as bond women and i can respect as uh, a concern uh, to want to be more respectful of the actresses But I find that it's a less effective sounding expression because Bond girl, like I just said, with James Bond or Sean Chang, you know, it's just two syllables and boom, boom. But with Bond women, you have one more syllable and it just doesn't quite, it just doesn't quite sound quite as as effective as make as strong an an impression. I'll just mention that in passing really quickly. I've always loved the series, but getting back to it, I've always loved the series. I love the sense of adventure. I love the locale that it goes to, but I'm also really intrigued by the characters. I'm curious each time who the villain's going to be. I've always been fascinated by the concept of the Bond girl. I'm curious who the leading lady is and where she's from and how she fits into the story and how... She- how these characters you know, engage in, in James Bond's world. I, I love the series. I've you know, even seen the, the non-official Bond movies, the 1967 Casino Royale multiple times, and the 1983's Never Say Never Again. But in all honesty, 1983's Never Say Never Again is really one of the worst movies that ever called itself a James <laughs> Bond movie. So I really have limited the number of times I've watched that one. In terms of my favorites from the series, my very favorite is 1969's Honor Majesty's Secret Service the one starring George Lazenby. It's a great story. Um, And, you know, Diana Rigg is my favorite uh, leading lady in the series. And Tony Savalos is a fabulous villain. It's a terrific movie. Um, In relation to the uh, Sean Connery movies, I think the best one he did was from Russia with Love. In relation to the Roger Moore films, I... Think Spy Who Loves Me is, is, a, is a masterpiece of the genre. You know the Timothy Dalton ones. I'll be, I'll be really candid with you. I respect Timothy Dalton um, as an actor, and I've heard he's a really, really you know kind person. But I really think he was really bland on screen as James Bond, and I'll explain why, and it'll tie into why I think Daniel Craig was such a great choice uh, as James Bond. Daniel Craig created this character, James Bond, and I think brought it back to its literary roots in terms of being a darker character, where the world that he inhabits is darker and more dangerous and a little more depressing. I'm not going to try to sell myself as an expert on the literary Bond. I've read several of the novels, so at least I'm familiar with it. But there are other James Bond experts out there that you can go confer with, and they'll give you a a much better background on it than I can. But I think the thing about Timothy Dalton is is that he tried to – the series in that direction by making his bond in, in the world that he inhabits darker. But he also lacked a larger the life quality that the character needs, because by that point in the cinematic series that had had, you know, wit and humor and adventure, he couldn't. Be- Timmy Dalton couldn't balance it out. He was dark and depressing and kind of dull, whereas with Daniel Craig, he was dark and depressing. But not at all. When he needs to be larger than life and humorous and witty, like the established cinematic Bond mold, he can rise to that occasion when necessary. And he can also more moody when the when mm-hmm. the scenes you know call for it. So I think that's why Craig is great. I mean, I won't even try to waste my time with Pierce Brosnan. My father had nicknames for him called him Wawa, which is a Chinese expression for a little child. My (laughs) father used to watch on late night television, three reruns of Revin could steal, and when when Pierce Brosnan was announced as James Bond, he could never take him seriously. So every time a new Bond movie would open, and I'd take my father to see it on opening night starring Pierce Brosnan, my father would just say in Chinese, oh, we're seeing another, you know, one starring Walla, and so that should show you the level of the level of contempt that he has for Chris Brosnan. Dane, exactly, yes, exactly. I think Chris Brosnan was okay. I I think he really put, made much of an in, impact on the role. in any kind of of significant manner. And I kind of jokingly refer to him as Jimmy Carter, uh, James Bond. He's the one that was let go of the series and has never gotten over being let go. And I kind of feel like sometimes, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, Trolls all the replacements. James Bond since then, the way um, Jimmy Carter will troll every president that came after him, even even the Democratic ones, just because it's not him.
0: Let's come back to to No Time to Die, because Daniel Craig had a great run. This was his James Bond film. Tell me about the the plot. Tell me about the villains. To the extent that the plot involves this disease, it it sort of echoes a little bit of the pandemic. So let's talk about the plot. Let's talk about Daniel Craig and the plot and uh, the villains and all the rest of it.
1: For the listeners, by now, probably many of you have already seen the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, please forgive us. We're going to start talking about the storyline a little bit. But I mean, it takes place five years after the previous film, Spectre. He has retired. The movie opens with him still involved with the previous film's leading lady, uh, Leia Sadu, as Madeline Swan. But something arises uh, in the pre credit sequence that causes him to not trust her, and so he dumps her at the train station, which made me wonder during that scene, by the way, Jim, that when he dumps her quite coldly at the train station, is that what happens to every leading lady in the Bond movie after having their adventure with bond and you know going off with him at some point he's just he's done so he just dumps them somewhere so so i thought that opening sequence did make me kind of wonder about you know those little moments that we never see in the series but five years later it picks up and he's looking for a scientist who's been kidnapped by specter who's developed this new technology that is like as you said sort of a sort of like a dna-based disease that can infect people and you know, cause them to die. That just brings them back into the fold of espionage and adventure. I, I don't want to give away too much because some people might actually go watch the movie, but that's just sort of the setup for the whole movie film. And I think one of the reasons why it's hard to um, synopsize the movie is, is that it's, it really is a complicated storyline. But I kind of loved that it was complicated. I know that there are people that... Absolutely didn't respond well to the movie because of that. They wanted more, more straightforward adventure. I stuck with the series for 60 years. I guess, like I said a moment ago, Craig accomplished something that others were not able to accomplish in the series, which was to make you really care about who this person is and what he's gone through, and have taking more time to you know see where he is in his life and how where how he's gotten here after five films. I was ready to to sit back and relax and just you know let the story take me to wherever it went. What did you think of
0: the movie? I agree with you. I mean, starting with the locales, it opens in Norway. It quickly moves to Jamaica, where James Bond, exactly. and, and then Italy. But it quickly moves to Jamaica, where he's he's living in semi-retirement, gets re-recruited by the CIA, that then takes him into Cuba. Italy factors in there. And then, of course, there's scenes in London. So uh, classic James Bond, multiple international locales very glossy, beautiful places to be locales. Overall, I was I agree with you. I think the the storyline was complex, but this was the I guess this was Daniel Craig's farewell to this role that had made him a global superstar. And mm-hmm. and it, it took a couple of years to make, did it not? Or it, it was a couple of years till it was released. I agree there was some complexity to it, but I never lost the thread. I mean, throughout throughout the film, the thread is Madeleine, the, the little girl, her daughter, Mathilde, who we discover later mm-hmm. in the film is, well, I'll, I'll let you uh, I'll let you divulge that, uh, her relationship with James Bond but i overall i felt that the the plot was while it was lengthy and somewhat tortuous it was it was a plot i could follow it was it was a credible james bond plot put it that way credible as incredible as many of the as many of the twists and turns were it was very much a james bond plot
1: i agree with you the character of matilde you know many people have seen it so i'm not giving away anything is his daughter that he discovers You know, Madeline at the train station, he didn't realize that she was carrying his child. And five years later, he comes back and finds out that he, you know, has a family. You know, I was greatly moved by the story, to tell you the truth. When I watched it, and I, I also have to acknowledge it was the first film I'd seen in the theaters, Ever since you know this pandemic started, yes. and I I was greatly moved by it. Maybe it's because I it was for my first movie in a movie theater in a long time, but I I was with it, and it was I found it very powerful. And I found the ending quite powerful, and essentially, and sorry to give it away, this ending he sacrifices himself and he dies. You know, it really, you know, it really hit me hard. I, I'm glad this was not the James Bond movie from, that was released uh, nine years ago around the time my father passed away from cancer, because I, I have to say that was. If this was the movie um, that was released at that time, around the, father, the time my father passed away, it would have hit me really hard because I associate my love of the series so much with growing up watching it with him. So, so I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. But that being said, it it really... It was very moving and very touching, and I think the fact that so many people have reacted in such varying, different degrees to the movie and to the ending demonstrates the power that the movie holds. Um, The last time I was on this podcast with you, and we had Tom LaSonte on to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino film, I had said how lots of different people have interpreted that film differently. And I think that if you have a work of art or entertainment, and everyone has different Interpretations of it that demonstrates the level of power that 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 work of art holds, and I think No Time to Die, you know, carries that power. I I think it's a terrific film, and I think it's a worthy entry to the series, and I think it's a very worthy way of capping off uh, Craig's five-year run as James Bond. I want to ask you something, Jim. We'll go. We'll get back to the Daniel Craig series. I mean, we've talked before, and you grew up during the 60s during that era you know when the James Bond series was introduced you grew up in England during part of that time so did the James Bond series have any impact on you as a young as a young man growing up oh it hugely
0: hugely and of course during the early to mid 1960s there were so there were so many James Bond copycat TV programs and movies. I mean, for, for goodness sake, the 35th president of the United States, President Kennedy, was one of the biggest fans of James Bond. Of course, he passed away before the films became many films. But he was an avid reader, and he loved reading Ian Fleming's depiction of all the exploits of James Bond. And in, in many ways, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that as JFK read the Ian Fleming recounts of swashbuckling glamorous international man of mystery i'm sure that appealed to him also but it certainly the uh, james bond spy type of film and tv program made a made a huge cultural impact i think on all of us in the Mm -hmm. early to mid 1960s and beyond And he portrayed, he being Sean Connery, who was the first James Bond, really portrayed Englishmen who, on the one hand, you had Englishmen like the Beatles with their shaggy hairdos and music, et cetera, who were portraying one aspect of British culture and British maleness. And then you had James Bond portrayed by Sean Connery, who portrayed this very sophisticated, world-weary, dashing, swashbuckling fellow who always seemed to come out on top, who always who always overcame the bad guys. So, yes, James Bond in particular Sean Connery had a major cultural effect, I think, as evidenced by all of these copycat films and TV programs.
1: And I'll say this, I, you know, I'm a bit younger than you and so I grew up in the 70s and 80s and so my cinematic frame of reference for my initial James Bond is Roger Moore and so clearly I love Roger Moore but at the same time, you know, I've taken the time to watch the Sean Connery movies and I love him too, but I think, you know, if you have to tip the scales in terms of who I prefer it's it's Roger Moore just because I grew up with, with those movies, but so I recognize that a lot of the not fans of the Roger Moore series because they felt it became campier, too lighthearted. I, I I like I like both elements. I like the campy elements where it's lighthearted, and I like the serious elements. It really just depends on what the movie is and whether the movie holds together. Each individual film, I mean, each individual film holds. Each individual film holds together as its own work of entertainment and art. But something I've always said about the James Bond series, Jim, and that's that I always consider the series a cinematic Rorschach test. Um, everybody approaches the series as a whole and each individual film from their own perspective. And I've seen such varying different degrees of opinions about the films, about the actors that play James Bond, about the different villains, about the, the who the Bond girls are song they prefer. And so I'm, I'm always fascinated by that aspect of the series. See, I mean, when I uh, look at other series that people are really into like star Wars, star Trek, now we have the Marvel superhero movies. I, I don't relate to those at all. Uh-huh. It's, but it's, but it's the Bond series I've always related to, continue to relate to. It's the one series that gets me really excited each time I hear about it. And, I, and I'll admit, there has been some of them that have disappointed me. I remember during the 90s when Pierce Brosnan returned as Bond. I hadn't formed my father's view of Pierce Brosnan yet. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. And each time I heard about the Pierce Brosnan movies, I was so excited. And more times than not, a lot of them I actually was disappointed with. The thing that gives... Craig movies a lot of strength is, is I think that the writing and directing of the Craig movies is so vastly superior to a lot of what came before the series starting with Casino Royale. I, I was one of those people that was skeptical when they announced Daniel Craig and I went with a friend on opening night to see it and I just absolutely within five minutes realized that my version to him was incorrect. And within five minutes I embraced him as James Bond and I knew that I was watching an incredibly great movie the next film Quantum of Solace was not nearly as good it's more uneven but I think there's still some good things in it Skyfall I think is an excellent movie the only drawback to Skyfall I I love Naomi Harris um, who's introduced as Money penny and I really think in Skyfall she needed to come back at the end and be taken to Skyfall you know for the big finale because in essence in that film she's really the leading lady and she's absent from from the finale Spectre some people were really disappointed with it I thought it was actually a pretty good film and um, the latest one No Time to Die I think is a very good movie and in terms of consistency I think the Craig movies are more consistent in terms of its quality even if some films are better than others you recently start Jim I encouraged you to start watching the Craig movies because you hadn't watched them and you watched the first four in a marathon session one weekend what was your (laughs) feeling after not having watched the series in a long time to suddenly starting over again with the Craig movies I think it was a positive impression am I correct?
0: That's right. I took I took a chapter out of your book. I did a binge watch of all four of the first, the first four of the Daniel Craig James Bond films. And then the No Time to Die, I went to see that in the theater. I, I was very impressed. First of all, he is a very accomplished actor to begin with, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, I was also very impressed with his athleticism, which is apparent in all the films. Now, of course, James Bond, any actor, is going to have stuntmen. But as as I did some of the research afterwards, I found that, that many of the stunts he actually did himself. So, And his athleticism in that role, I think, really added a further dimension to the film, number one. And number two... Yeah. In watching all four of the first four of the Daniel Craig films in a row, I I really had a sense of his franchise, that he had taken over this James Bond role in a way that no one since Sean Connery had really possessed it. And again, coming back to No Time to Die, we, we haven't we haven't focused on the women in the film. We haven't talked about let let's take a moment and talk about Leia Seydoux because she plays a significant role in this film. And of course she was in one of the earlier Daniel Craig films. So why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about Leia Seydoux?
1: Oh well I'll tell you I liked her very much in the previous film Spectre. I thought she it was actually if all she did was Spectre, I thought she created an interesting character. She's the daughter of Mr. White, which is a recurring villain, a woman who clearly loved her father but couldn't understand how he'd become this evil villainous character. And she crosses paths with Bond and Spectre and the two of them embark on this mission to try to understand Spectre's involved with and for her to better understand who her father was. I thought it, I thought she had an interesting and compelling storyline that I thought maybe you know some of the leading ladies in, in some of the other Daniel Craig movies didn't quite have. I thought, for example, in Quantum of Solace, Olga Korolenko played uh, Camille, and that was a decent enough part. She wasn't a character where you really learned uh, too much about. I mean, you learned a little bit about her, but it really wasn't about uh, about who she was as a person. Nor um, Money, Penny and Skyfall. In those movies, they were more. Uh, plot devices that better developed and better acted plot devices than previous bond movies but in that movie specter i thought you know they brought her in and they really wanted to create this character that uh, you got to know a bit And in the second film we got to find out even more about her i thought she's great i, I loved her I, I i think she's a terrific actress and um you and i've talked about this that I, some some critics didn't seem to respond to her character and i think it's because she comes from this tradition of uh of french film stars like Captain Deneuve or Jean Moreau, who are a bit mysterious, a little bit more held back, a bit not direct and not, not cutesy the way Julia Roberts is. And I think maybe they didn't respond as well to her. You had a French expression that you used, and I, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but you can go ahead and use it. But I thought that that French expression that you used perfectly describes her. Go ahead, go ahead Jim.
0: Well, she, she exhibits what the French call sang froid, which is composure, mm-hmm. coolness. Coolness under pressure, and it's one of the it's one of the characteristics that the French love about the British. But the, the French, and particularly French women, but both French men and French women will exhibit this composure and coolness, which they call sang froid. Sang froid literally mm-hmm. means blood cold. It's not cold bloodedness in the way that we use it in English. But it's more along the lines of composure and self-control, putting the best face forward in a in a rather cool, non-emotional way. No one's going yeah. to—a French actress is not going to be tearing her hair out and beating her breast and, and all the rest of it. You're not going to see that kind of raw, earthy emotion coming from classical French actresses. And so that was something—so that's par for the course, I think— with Leia Seydoux's uh, presentation. Now, of course... There's one
1: more thing I want to say. Yeah. There's one more thing I want to say about her before we move on is I like the fact that she wasn't another government agent or a spy. I think in recent years, there's become this cliche in action movies or just in movies and TVs in general. You know, people are lauding a pro- project or production because the, the leading female character is, quote-unquote, a strong woman. And I think in the 70s and 80s, there probably weren't as many strong women in movies. It was a big deal when Barbara Bach and Spy Who Loved Me and Lois Childs and, and Moonraker were respectively a KGB agent and a CIA agent so that they were now partners of Bond as opposed to being gambling in distress or just dragged along in the storyline. So I think it, it meant a lot. But I think now in 2021, so many women in action movies are quote unquote strong women that unfortunately it's, it's become a cliche itself. And in a lot of instances, it's become a cliche that at times is dull. I'll just basically say that what I've realized in recent years is that in terms of characters on screen, on screen, I'm not looking for a strong woman or a strong man. I'm looking for interesting characters to watch. There was an HBO series, you didn't watch it last summer, called White Lotus. And an actress named Jennifer Coolidge played this very emotionally damaged, vulnerable heiress going on vacation uh, one summer to, to a resort in, in Hawaii. She was a very weak, fragile vulnerable person but she's actually one of the best written characters i've seen in anything a long time Mm. she was intelligent she could be foolish and intelligent at the same time she was a mass of contradictions but a fascinating character and that's when i realized we don't necessarily need strong men or strong women we just need really interesting human nuanced characters like that and i think that's what leah do as Madeline brought to the two Bond movies that she was in. You know, she brought a lot of humanity to it. she Yes, she was capable with her firearms and whatever have you, but that wasn't what, what made her stand out.
0: Now, what about Lashana Lynch? Because she plays the new 007. She's been given the moniker 007 because James Bond is retired happily in Jamaica. So she is now the new 007. What did you think of her?
1: Well, let me take the time to try to explain uh, my opinion about her. There was a bit of controversy before the movie even opened because there was rumors that she was going to be the new 007, and she, there, was, there were people who were you know right-wing conservative people that got upset and wrote these editorials complaining, saying that James Bond series has become woke, James Bond's going to be replaced by Lashawna Lynch as Nomi, and anybody who watches the actual film... Will not come away with any fear that she's taking over the series at all. She uh-huh. has that the way the way the, you agree with me on that, Jim. Oh yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a good part. It's a good part that any that any talented actress would be able to make a lot out of. But but she got a lot of criticism for it. And, and I remember there was footage on YouTube uh, at the premiere in London as she was exiting a hotel dressed in her evening gown to be driven to the Royal Albert Hall for the premiere, she got booed. And when I saw that, I really – I felt for her, and I really completely disagreed with, uh, with, you know, that the outrage people felt towards her. But I think at the same time, part of the problem was in interviews and all the publicity surrounding the movie – She kept talking about being a role model, people of color, and to women of color. I I can understand that given uh, the tenor of the world these days, how important it is for someone with her visibility to feel that way. Still, at the same time, constantly discussing that in interviews, and to be fair to her, a lot of journalists will ask questions of that nature to evoke a a, a response like that, and those quotes be clickbait, and people will take those quotes out of context. It's, It's a little bit like when film directors, serious film directors are being interviewed now, and they're asked, what do you think about the Marvel superhero movies, and they say that they hate them, and those quotes are taken out of context, and a lot of people are angry about them. I kind of feel that's what happened to her. These journalists would ask her this question, and she would walk into that trap, talk about um, her character and her role in the movie purely from a sociopolitical perspective based on race and based on gender, and not so much talking about just basically being an actor creating a character. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, at the end of the day, in her performance, it showed, it showed. She saw herself so much as a role model that she forgot to give a performance. I actually found her actual performance really, really kind of disappointingly bland. Mm-hmm. She said in one interview that she wanted to give the character of Nomi all these different layers, that she's awkward and insecure, which sounds great on paper, but the actual performance, I didn't see any of that on there, and I... And, I, and originally in the trade papers before the film went into production, there was rumors that the Oscar-winning actress, Lupita Nyong'o, who won an Oscar for 12 Years a Slave, and she's a and she's a brilliantly talented actress with a lot of great screen presence being considered for a role in the film. And I believe that now we can assume it's that role. And I'm sorry Lupita Nyong'o didn't get it because she would have brought a lot of star quality to the role that I think to Lynch mm-hmm. lacks. And just two more things before we move on. And there were people who felt that the the vitriol all against the lynch was you know was racially based you know i i don't you know we're not here to basically do a survey of multiple millions of people around the world but i would simply offer that for the last three bond movies you also have an, another black actress uh naomi harris who's played money penny and she's never had that controversy uh naomi harris is a very shrewd intelligent person in interviews she's when in the film role you know, touches upon you know um, race or gender issues, she'll talk about it. but It's not something that she'll always talk about, you know, out of context. Because of that, I think you know, I'm not sure if all the controversy about Lashana Lynch was race-based after all. Because Naomi Harris, you know, has never faced that. And but at the same time, just like Lupita Nyong'o is is a is more dynamic, better actress, so is Naomi Harris. Naomi Harris also has a star quality and she's a dynamically talented actress. And I really feel that Lynch really just doesn't have that extra quality that would make her stand out um, in the movie. I mean, some people who are more liberal thinking gave, gave reviews saying, well, Sean Lynch is delightful. And I went, really? Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe they're saying something I didn't. I mean, she's, she's capable in the movie she's adequate but i wouldn't Mm -hmm. say delightful and i'm just simply going to say that i don't think I, i don't think anyone needs to fear that she's taking over the series and i think the character if you see the film is one and done there's no need to bring her back but that being said there's another character in the movie that should come back and i'll let you start off um discussing her jim
0: yes and that's anna de armas and yes, she and she is uh, she plays Paloma and she turns up as a CIA agent in Havana in Santiago in Havana where oh. the Spectre convention is taking place. She gives a great performance. It's a relatively short performance, but it's more in the tradition of the rock'em sock'em knock'em blow'em away with the uh, guns and howitzers performance of James Bond classic. And uh, and she does it with a plum, and she does it coolly and credibly. That was my take mm-hmm. on Anna de Armas. What did you think?
1: Oh, everything, all of the above. A, a second ago, I was saying how Lashana Lynch said that she tried to work with the screenwriter to give her character Nomi an awkwardness and insecurity about herself, and I didn't see any of those nuances in the actual scenes on screen. But with Anna de Armas, in a shorter amount of time, she conveyed that. Just little, just little things that she did in terms of kind of a, ner- a certain nervousness a certain charming, you know, giggling at times, but not giggling to the point where she... Uh, lost her composure or, and, and became immature. You could tell that this is a very smart, mature young woman who has a lot of talent and a lot of ability as, a, as an agent and wit and confidence. It's one of those funny things where it's a short performance. I mean, some people have timed it, if you can believe it, that she's on screen for about 12 minutes. In terms of the way the character is scripted and the way she's directed and the nuances that she brings into the film, even though we don't know a whole lot about what Paloma's background is, besides the fact that you know, she's been training for three weeks you know you get a sense of to who she is already and even more importantly than getting a sense of who she is in terms of being smart and bright and and talented you want to know more about her when she makes her exit in the movie you're like oh wait 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 a minute don't, don't yeah. leave don't leave yeah stay stay have a drink yeah now, and, stay, and stay around stay you know, around absolutely
0: and i'm sure she i'm sure she'll be back uh, even though I'm sure she'll be back in, in the next one or two James Bond films. But what about the two bad guys, the two villains here, Stavro Blofeld and Lucifer Saffron? I'm not pronouncing his name correctly. Talk to me about both of them because they were uh, they they were classic, classic villains a la James Bond.
1: Let's talk about Rami Malek as Sassan, uh, first of all, because I... Telling the truth, watching it the first time, I, I was a little bit worried that the character was a little bit underdeveloped. We don't really see a whole lot of him for the first uh, half of the film, even yes. though he's a character that is introduced fairly quickly, showing up at Madeline's house as a child and killing her mother. But watching it again the second time, and I'll, I'll have to admit to you guys that you know I, you know, I, I rented it. Um, in, in preparation for uh, this for this podcast, and uh, so I, I watched it five times this past weekend. All right, Just five times. But it's not a record. It's not a record. I'll see it more than I have.
0: Sean, you never disappoint. You never disappoint. Oh, you no. when you're asked to do your homework, you do it with a vengeance.
1: No, thanks, but 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 I thought his character, as I watched it multiple times over, I actually picked up on little nuances of him that made me quite intrigued with his character i think he's a tragic character yes. who you know i mean in the storyline madeline's father mr white poisoned his entire family he survived the poisoning but he was emotionally and physically scarred from the experience but yet what, what i found kind of moving was was when at the opening sequence when madeline's trying to get away from him and she's trapped under the ice you see this close-up and that's when rami malik's uh, talent as an actor i mean he's covered by a mask that he's able to convey you know without dialogue his humanity, where he you know sees this young girl you know trapped under the ice, and he breaks through the ice to save her life. So I found that there was a, that even he brought a humanity to his role that was that was refreshing in the series. Yes, he is a dastardly villain, but you know Moloch didn't forget to uh, give us little shades of, of humanity, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier about uh, LaShawn Seanne's performance that I think lacked because she was so focused on being a role model in the real world by playing this character. She forgot to focus on the actual scenes, the actual character, to really bring human traits to Nomi that would make us, the audience, care about her. She's fine. She doesn't hurt the movie, and she certainly proves to be James Bond's ally at the end. The reason why I'm skeptical about her pronouncement of being a role model is... I think anybody that calls themselves a role model, whether they're celebrity playing a role, whether they're real-life people calling themselves a role model, I'm always wary of it, because I think in life, it's other people who should call you a role model based on the fact that you're just conducting your life in your own way, and you set a good example by by making choices that other people admire. When one person calls himself a role model, I think we should all be a little bit wary and skeptical, because there's a little bit of... um, Pretense there, and a little bit of high-handed, high-mindedness about it that that always you know turns me off. But but going back to Raleigh, Rami Grame um, you know, playing Sa- fast and thought got it out of the park. The Blofeld character, I have to admit something to you. Uh, my brother and I, as kids, never liked the character of Blofeld as a villain. Uh huh. You know, but I think in the, the, the Spectre, and and I think it's it's a fascinating character that has layers to him and you know, I thought they were great. They're bad guys, they're villains, but I think what makes the, the Craig movies interesting is that all the characters have layers to them. I mean, even going back to Casino Royale, of course, in Casino Royale, Chief is constantly worried that uh, if he doesn't raise the money, you know, these people are out to get him. And you, you can you can sense his fear. Yes. The fear is palpable. Of course, Desper Lynn, the leading lady in Casino Royale, is this really, really nuanced, wonderful character that obviously, 15 years later, Bond still hadn't gotten over, had not gotten over. But even the little parts, um, there was a second female lead in Casino Royale, Catalina Marino, uh, the Italian actress, playing Solange. She's the wife of the villain in the, in the first half hour of the yes. film. And so it's a short part, but I remember there's this moment in the movie, She, she you know, Bond is seducing her and she talks about how she doesn't doesn't understand why she's attracted to bad guys and when good, nice guys have asked her out. And I remember seeing her, seeing that scene in the, the movie theater, thinking, wow, it's a short part, but in five, in five minutes we learn more about Solange as a human being than we did a lot of the leading ladies of previous Bond movies. So I've I just been very, very impressed by the general focus on characters in the the Daniel Craig series it's not for everybody I've seen people complain that the Daniel Craig series are too talky but when I see people complain about the Daniel Craig movies or about the current Bond movies I think they're either people who are not fans of the Bond series to begin with or maybe just remember superficially the most action-packed Bond movies that haven't really followed the series as a whole and haven't ever tried to read the novels. So, so be it.
0: But, Sean, in, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, what does the future hold for Daniel Craig? You had told me that coming in January you're going to go up to New York and see Daniel Craig perform in the lead role in Macbeth. Is that his future role on Broadway? Uh, what, what does the future hold for him?
1: You have to ask him or his agent. I think he's just going to go on and continue to have a brilliant career. There was a film that he did that I don't think you saw, but Anna DeArnaud's film in it called Knives Out. It was a loaded mystery Set in a house, you know, is also in the gym, and they have great to chemistry together. They did a sequel to Nights Out* that will be out theatrically in movie theaters, and he's doing that path. I think he's just going to continue going on to be one of our most brilliant actors. I'll say this in terms of his work: *No Time to Die*. I mean, he really breaks your heart. The last couple of years, due to this pandemic, it's been a strange movie-going year. In last year's Oscars, with the very strange Academy Awards. And that's for a different podcast. We we can talk about that you know later, Jim. If there was any justice in this world, I wish the Motion Picture Academy the voting members would actually take Daniel Craig seriously and maybe give him an Oscar nomination for his performance in No Time to Die. I mean, it's the kind of performance in an action film that really is so layered and nuanced. I mean, it's it's as layered and nuanced as a as a. Regular drama with no action at all. So I'm hopeful that one of these days he'll get uh, his nomination or his or his actual Oscar because I think he's he's a really gifted actor. In terms of the future of the series, NASA, but who knows? I mean, it says at the end, at the movie after the credits, James Bond will return. So that puts to rest any fear that Lashawna Lynch you know me, is no means taking over the series. Okay, so you know any 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 conservative people that are worried, it says that at the end credits. You know, put that out of your mind. The future of the series? Who knows? Will, will they reboot it and start with a different kind of timeline, time frame, with a, like a young man? I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. And I think we're going to still have James Bond for decades to come. One of the things that I find funny this recent Bond movie is is that, said earlier, it's a cinematic Rorschach test. Everybody applies their own opinions to it. And I've noticed that through the years, the Bond series has often been trashed by people who lean left politically. Either they don't like it from a feminist point of view because they think that the Bond girls are demeaning to women... Or they don't like it because they think that uh, James Bond is a relic of of the British Empire. So they basically look at it from that kind of a point of view. And so they'll write write these essays and editorials saying that the Bond series is is obsolete and it's going to end soon, or it should end soon. And now you've got, due to this movie, just because of the Nomi character being 007, um, you've got now the conservative people saying, oh, the Bond series is over, it should end. And you know what? People have been writing that for like the last 30, 40 years. And next year will be the 60th anniversary. Uh So I expect that the series will keep going on. And 30 years from now, you know, when, as I'm, when I'm well into my old age, I'll still be reading editorials uh, by people saying that the series should end or will end because it's obsolete. And, and so I I've, I can keep continuing, and I look forward to it. Because even, even when the Bond movie has disappointed me, think ahead to the future and go, you know what, this one wasn't so good, but you know what, in about two or three years, there's another one. And that's kind of, and that's kind of the one thing that I think Bond means to me is because it's been a part of my life. You know, since I was growing up in the 1970s, it's a sense of continuity. And in the world that we live in right now, Jim... We you
0: know, need it.
1: We, we, we need it. We've gone through some difficult times, and I think that's what Bond gives us, is a sense of assuredness and continuity. And even though he died at the end of No Time to Die, I think this James Bond, Daniel Craig, died. But I don't think Bond, you know, as a character, is gone or dead. I think we'll still see him for years to come, and I welcome that.
0: Well... Sean, on that note, I want to thank you very much for being our guest today and walking us through this great film No Time to Die as well as the history of James Bond and a history of Daniel Craig. And for my listeners, please take a moment to go to my website www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com and subscribe to the podcast. It's free and it's easy to do so. By subscribing, you can listen to the past 215 episodes, peruse my book, read my blog post, send me an email, or leave a comment. And again, I want to thank Sean for being our guest today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me on, and I also thank the listeners for putting up with me through three podcasts <laughs> and putting up with my opinion. But like I said, being with my opinion, certainly if other people feel differently about these movies and about The characters and actors completely respect it. There's room for everything in the world, and certainly there's room for different opinions I think we need to encourage in this world.
0: And on that note, this has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, coming to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.